Welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in to Rock Church's message. We are so excited that you are here today. We hope that you leave today encouraged and know that you are loved by God. The Bible tells us that Jesus left heaven to come to earth with a plan, a plan that was to reach all mankind. Because of sin and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, their poor choices, they were now condemned to live with their sin separated from God. God couldn't handle that. It did not satisfy God to allow us just to go our own way and not think about him. We celebrate Easter today because his plan was not completed on the, in, the, in the manger alone. But his plan was to come and die for all of us. And today we give him praise. This is, this is for every true believer, every Christian without doubt, this day marks the greatest day in history. This is a celebration unlike any other. Most religions do not have a God that is alive. Jesus is alive. Yes, he is. He is alive. And we as Christians, as believers, those of us who call ourselves believers, should live as if he were alive. I can think that the 12 that he chose to travel with him, being human beings, were much like you and me. We make mistakes. And as tough as I am on the whole praise team about details, God made me make the mistake. It proves the sinful nature of human beings, doesn't it? But God, in his love, is so redemptive and amazing. He brings us back to himself through love. Always. His grace is sufficient. Jesus actually began his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old for three straight years. And that is when he called his disciples, the 12. He called them from ordinary lives and said, I want you to follow me. He told them they would have to take up their cross to follow him. And most of us cannot comprehend that because we don't bear any real crosses. It's when you begin to bear crosses in life that you begin to realize just even a little tiny bit what Christ suffered. If you're a believer in the room this morning, you understand this, that the Old Testament foreshadowed what was to come in the New Testament. And when Jesus Christ came and died for your and my sins, the veil in the temple, the scripture says, was rent in two. They say that if you tied a team of horses running both directions to try to tear the veil in two, it was not possible. It was so thick and heavy. It was the veil that separated us from being able to have divine access into God's presence. And because of what Jesus did, praise God, because of what Jesus did, we now can pray directly to the Father. Jesus is our mediator. He died for us. He is worth living for. By the way, the days are not getting any better. Pope St. Francis this week announced that he did not believe there was a hell, that bad people would just disappear. And I am here to tell the Pope, for a matter of fact, you are wrong. 
There is an eternal separation between God and man because of the sin in the garden, and it was passed on to us. It's in our bloodstream. Thank God that one day we realized that Jesus didn't come as a baby born in a manger. He came as the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who had a plan to let us be free from all the bondage and the things that so easily tear us apart from him. The scripture says in Luke 22, then they seized him and led him astray, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and, and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an internal interval, excuse me, of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I say this to you this morning. How many Peters do we have in the room? You have traveled the distance now with Christ in your life. You claim to know Christ. You may be a church-going person every week. As for me in my house, when I was growing up, my father was an agnostic. He did not believe in God. He did not believe in Jesus. He did not want us going to a church that taught that Jesus was alive, that Jesus died for our sins. My mom came out of Catholicism. But my father would not allow us to go to the Catholic church, and so we ended up in a little Lutheran church. It was there I first heard about Jesus, but not that I needed to know him personally. It wasn't until later in life that I understood I need to have a personal relationship with him. That's what he came for. He came to free us from our sin. And yet so many of us on a daily basis are entangled in the things of the world that our view of God is, is very, very tiny. He's not big enough to keep us from sin. He's not big enough to deliver us from evil. He's not big enough to, to deliver us from whatever thing besets us. But I'm here to say he is. Peter, of all people, should have known better. It was him who saw the Lord when they were traveling across the water and looked out and said, it's the Christ. And, and he stepped out of the boat by faith and, and then looked away for a moment and began to sink. You know how that applies to us in life? We're, we're traveling down this road and we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, but we somehow get our eyes off of him and we start to sink. And he said, if it's you, Lord, say, come to me. And Jesus said, come. And Peter walked on water. But Peter also denied Christ. Jesus said that before the cock crows three times, you will deny him. And Peter said, no, I won't. And Jesus knew what he was talking about because he did. What causes you to deny Christ? What takes you away from knowing that God, through Jesus Christ, is powerful enough 
to completely change you and your circumstances. Matthew 26 says this once again. After a little bit, those standing nearby came up to Peter. Surely you're one of them, they said, for your accent gives you away. And at that he began to curse and to swear at them. I do not know that man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus that he had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. How many times have we said, oh, God, you're everything to me. I believe in you. I trust in you. I believe in you. How many times then by our lives have we said, I don't believe in you. You're not big enough for my circumstances. I'm here to say this today, and you'll understand this through the service. Hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive. As we worship through giving this morning, I'd like to say thank you to the people who are faithful in giving to the ministry of Rock Church. We might ask this question of ourselves. Who is this King of Glory? When you go through the whole story in the Gospels of Jesus' birth and then his death and his resurrection, perhaps the most startling thing to me is the fact that the disciples, the disciples themselves, the ones that he had called from their rigorous daily lives to, to live a life of following him, they gave up three years of their life. You would think that by now in ministry I would understand that not many people are willing to follow the call of God. Because the call of God is not always easy. In fact, it usually isn't. It's way more complex than you think. And my wife said this to me in the car a couple days ago. She said, honey, we have no choice which people remain as friends in our lives. They alone could choose that because we will not turn against our friends. We will accept anyone. But as you go through life, you're going to find this out, that not everyone will stay with you. And you get to the very end of your life and you look back and you find that it's mostly family that remained with you. Family stays together, hopefully. Even though there are staggering statistics when it comes to divorce and fatherless children. A truly devoted father is needed in every house. A father that is not always busy working, not always busy trying to make more money, but a father that's genuinely interested in his children. That's family. Sticking together. When you get to the very end of the story now, the very end of the story of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, you come to a passage in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, because Scripture records the name of only one person in this text. We don't know who the other man was because there were two disciples. It says in Luke cha or John chapter 2, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, 
destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. By now you would think that the disciples would actually be thinking, okay, he's told us this at least a couple of times now that his temple is going to be destroyed and in three days come back. Well, there are not very many people on the earth that actually believe in a physical resurrection. Another life after this. And, and yes, as you look at your own life, you have to admit that at times you wonder, what's it going to be like the moment I pass? For the Christian, there is no death. Jesus Christ died so you wouldn't. You pass instantly without the sting of death. Most of us can't make it through our daily routine. To get to that point, there are two disciples that are on the road. Jesus has died now. Joseph of Arimathea asked if he could have the body because only one of his disciples and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene were at the cross. John was at the foot of the cross. All the other disciples have disappeared for fear of death themselves. And Joseph takes the body down and he takes it to a borrowed grave puts it in the grave, and the Roman government is extremely concerned that the body will be destroyed because Jesus, even they were curious as to what he meant by destroy this temple and it will be raised up in three days. So they want to take all the extra precautions to make certain that there is no way that they could trick everyone and get this body out of there. Roman guards were placed there. As you know the story, you've heard it a zillion times. But even the disciples disappeared. And two of them are walking down the road away from Jerusalem, sad. Having a discussion is how I picture it. Saying things like, why in the world did this happen? Why didn't he just fight? If he was really God and he was really the Messiah, why didn't he fight? Why wasn't he thinking about what we're going to go through left behind here? He was able to work so many miracles that he couldn't get off the cross. What have we done? Have we wasted our whole lives? When my wife and I come to the end of our life, which might not be very long, Bill's the weirdest aunt fell in the bathtub, had a massive heart attack, and is gone. Do you think she planned that that day? See, we, we can't even envision being gone. We can't envision what it's going to like, going to be like to die. And these disciples are walking away from Jerusalem, and they had to be really sad. They had to be thinking to themselves, man, we spent years following him, and we gave everything we have, and we look like fools to all of our friends. And about 15 minutes into their journey, out of nowhere comes another man that overtook them. He comes up behind them and says this. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? The word of God says that Jesus actually made himself so that they would not recognize him. I don't think he even had to. I think that they couldn't believe in resurrection. They were not believers. They couldn't believe in resurrection. If the Pope, St. Francis doesn't believe that there's another life after this, we should be concerned. We went to see the movie The Apostle Paul the other night, my wife and I. 
and they were advertising the Pope's new movie that's coming out and trying to appeal to young people. And I thought it was interesting that there, were, there was um, this intentional effort to make us realize that all religions of the world should come together by what they visually made you see with Muslims and all the people from all around the world. And the Pope was basically speaking in language that we could understand. He wasn't speaking in some other Latin language that would make us think, I don't relate to him. He now relates to young people and get ready for a great delusion to take place. I actually said out loud, we were in the top row. I said, Antichrist. If you've ever been to AMC, the recliner chairs, it's heaven. Don't ever go back to Celebration Cinema. <laughs> it's recliners with cup holders and the, oh, vibrating things and all kinds of stuff. No, not vibrating. That's the sound. So I actually said Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. You can't see the rows below you. There's a wall there. And a man on the end stood up, climbed up there, and looked up at me like, what are you talking about? I think he was ready to give me a word or two. In case you don't want to uh, understand this, ladies and gentlemen, the scripture is very clear that in the last days there will be one world government, one world religion. One world religion. I don't believe it's going to be Christianity. I think it's going to look like Christianity, but not be Christianity. That's just an extra. They stopped, these two guys on the road, Looking at each other, we know that one of them was Cleopas. His name was Cleopas. Jesus' execution was about the only thing that people were talking about anywhere. The climax to a week of controversy, confrontation, and political intrigue was premature. A new twist had emerged that very morning. Jesus' body was missing. No statements had been issued from the Sanhedrin or the Romans. There were rumors of a resurrection. The gossip mills were running full speed ahead. And Cleopas actually said this to this man that came up to them. He said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Little does he know. He's talking to the man, all God, all man, Jesus. Give you a little secret. When you know who you're talking to, things happen. His name is Jesus. Just say his name. Jesus. His name is Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. He was the Messiah. They missed it. And Jesus replied back to play along with them, what things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all people. And Cleopas paused, clearly feeling this very deeply and continued, but we had hoped that he was the one that would redeem Israel. He quickly wiped his eyes and started walking again. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they were, did not find his body. They, they came back saying that they had seen a 
a vision of angels who said that it was, he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that it was actually, just as the woman said, the tomb was empty. They did not see Jesus, though. Many people will walk in the room this morning, and this is your once a year or twice a year time that you come to church. That was my father until one day, one day he realized that Jesus is for real. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. Name above all names. Beautiful Savior. Yes, he is. If you believed it, you would live it. We watched the Michigan-Loyola game last night. There was a lot of screaming going on. Lots of screaming. And I'm, I'm suspect of this. I'm suspect of the fact that I think most people are far more excited about Michigan winning a game than they are about Jesus freeing us from our sin because we don't believe. Don't say you do. You live like you don't. Don't even say you do. Don't even go there because you know you don't live like that. They walked in silence for a minute and then the stranger said the last thing that they expected. Oh, foolish ones and slow at heart to believe all that the prophets had told you. Little do you know that you are walking with the king. Little do you know that you are walking right next to Jesus. Little do you know when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death that Jesus is right there by you, but you gave up and decided to go get drunk instead. You decided that you needed something else instead of acknowledging that Jesus is trying to get your attention. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I think he smote Cleopas right to the heart. The man looked right into Cleopas' eyes and he said this, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was that not necessary? You want to know why? Because you are wondering where God is right now when you're in depression. Because you are wondering right now where God is in your financial need. Because you are wondering right now because you're sick of your marriage. Because you are wondering right now why don't even want to why don't I even want to live? Because you are wondering right now why church is so boring. It's because you have lost the wonder of who he is. The Messiah. You got that? You've lost the wonder. You're more excited about whether Michigan wins than whether Jesus already won. He won. The fire of their faith had not totally died out at Golgotha. Still something inside them wondering, did he really resurrect from the dead? Whew, there was hope. There's hope. There's hope because he did. He didn't stay in that tomb. There's hope for you in your discouragement. There's hope for you in all these situations in life when you think there is no hope. There is hope. The sun hung low in the sky as they reached Emmaus. The stranger gave them every indication that he was going to leave them. And they said to him, would you mind staying and spending the night with us? And he said, yes. 
They went back and broke bread. And as they were breaking bread at the table, he began to pray. When he was finished, they looked up. He was gone. Ooh, hallelujah. Ooh, oh my gosh. What is wrong with us two disciples sitting looking at each other wondering if he was the Messiah. Things are starting to get scary. Oh God, you have not remained dead. You are you are, and were and, and will always be Jesus, the Messiah. Name above all names. The wonderful counselor, mighty God, the prince of peace. The one that is powerful to change our lives today just like he did back then. That is the message of Easter. They realized it was him, Jesus. What it would be like to have lived when Jesus was living on the earth, be a disciple of his, a follower of his, and see that as he walked in this, to the city of Jerusalem, this the citizens of the city were all waving palm branches, expecting fully that, that he was the Messiah. That he would come and he would rule and reign and he would stop the tyranny of the Roman government. That was their prayer. That's how they pictured Jesus. That was their plan, but not his. He had a different plan. He wanted to find out who was with him and who wasn't with him. And it's very sad to say that as, as the time of his death neared, he knew that all would forsake him. He knew that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed, he would eat supper with his disciples and he would forewarn them that one of them would ultimately betray him. And it was true. It was, Judas who walked out and sold Jesus for about $600 in our money, 30 pieces of silver. God had to be so grieved at, at one that claimed to be such a follower of his. And not only was Judas a betrayer in the room that night, but there was Peter. Jesus predicted that Peter would deny it him three times before the cock would even crow. And then there are all of the other disciples, the other ten, who disappeared. And as God had planned, Jesus would now take all of our sin upon himself. All of the sins of all mankind would be heaped on Christ on the cross. Well, he could have called angels. He could have beckoned legions of angels to come and free him. That was not his plan for us. Instead, he was taken by the Roman guards and had to appear before Pilate, the governor of this particular area. A man who really wanted nothing to do with this. I've thought of this many times. What if I was Pilate? 
what would be going through my mind? And so, follow me. It's for just a few moments. I gotta adjust this, actually. I become pilot. My name is Pontius Pilate. I am the governor of Judea. I must tell you this story about this man they call Jesus. He was no ordinary man. Following his betrayal, a man called Judas had taken him to the chief priests. The decision was made that he should be put to death because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Jesus was brought to me, he simply stood there. I asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He replied so quietly and calmly, Yes, it is as you say. The chief priest continued to accuse him, but he was not in any way moved. There was no fear in his eyes at all. I once again asked him, Don't you hear what these priests and elders are saying against you? Don't you see that I... I have the power right now to free you. All you must do is deny that you are the Son of God, as they say you claim. And once again, this Jesus, he, he stood there like so quietly, so calmly. It was so disturbing to me as I looked at him and I thought, this man is innocent, I can tell. But I don't know what to do as the crowds cry out. I was amazed that any human being could remain so calm in the midst of what might end up being his own death. It was a feast. And it was this custom of our people to release during this feast one man who was condemned to death. Certainly, the crowds would rather see this man, who there was no obvious sin in, released. When the crowds gathered with all the noise and confusion, I asked them, Whom do you want me to release to you? This man, Jesus? I, I find no fault in. Or oh, this murderer. This man who has already been proven to be a murderer. This man, this man Barabbas. Immediately the crowds begin to yell. Release to us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. In the middle of all that. I was interrupted. As a soldier brought me a note, it, it, was, it was a note from my wife. She said, I beg you, 
I beg you, Pilate, I beg you, I plead with you. Have nothing to do with this man, Jesus. I have not been able to sleep. My dreams have told me that he is innocent. Please, I beg you as my husband, have nothing to do with him. This was extraordinary. It caused me to stop and think, what am I doing? What, what am I to do? If I do not release him to the crowds, they will come after me. So when, once again, I, I said, who is it that you would like me to free? Is it Jesus or Barabbas? And again and again and again, they said, crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus. Release to us Barabbas. With sorrow inside. I knew. I knew what I must do. It greatly pained me. How, how can I just release an innocent man to be tortured? And then crucified. Crucifixion is not for innocent men. Crucifixion is for criminals. I went and found a basin and I filled it with water and I came before the crowd and I stood before them and I said, I wash my hands of this matter. I have nothing to do with this. I will release him to you, but I wash my hands of this. What took place after that was the vilest of all things. As he took this man away, he tore his clothes from his body, naked. He stood there and they began to spit on him and beat him. Ruthlessly destroy him. His skin was shredded. I could not bear to look. As they crucified and Savior. I was told that there was a guard standing at the foot of the cross. People actually heard him say, Surely, surely this was the Son of God. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the word that God has for you. We pray that you go out into the world now and you live differently, you act differently, and you love differently.